This is your special edition of Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. It is a one-year anniversary special episode. Just wanted to take some time here to play a few of my favorite uh, moments, interviews from the first year of Daily Delivery. Say thank you to everybody who has listened in the last year. Our very first official episode was February 1st. 2021. And yes, that is exactly a year ago. Time has stood still in a certain way. Um, When we started planning this podcast, it was actually before the pandemic even started. We kind of carried that energy into the summer and fall, kind of knew, summer, fall 2020, I should say, kind of knew that that was not the perfect time to launch it. But by February, it was starting to feel like sports were on their way back, and it was maybe time to bring this this thing to life. I'd done a bunch of practice ones. I'd become, you know, terrified at the sound of my own voice. You know, we'd done sports podcasts at the start of being before, the Timberwolves podcast, the Twins podcast. We still do a Vikings podcast that is that is quite successful, but wanted to do a, you know, a, a, a sports, you know, general sports podcast five days a week. Just thought that was a good way to take advantage of a lot of the knowledge we have within the building and really kind of talk every day about the biggest stories in Minnesota sports. And, you know, I'm I'm happy with what we've done so far. I'm proud of a lot of the work that has gone into this over 260 episodes. That sounds kind of mind boggling to me as I think back on a year of work. But, you know, it's been you, the listener, that has made that all possible. You've kept listening, kept listening more. More people have found this podcast as the year has gone on, made it worth worthwhile in more than just you know our own enjoyment and our own sense of this being the right thing to do. So thank you so much for listening. If you like it, please listen more. Tell a friend, tell an enemy, and uh, we'll have plenty more in store in the next year and beyond. With that said, let me play a few clips from past episodes just to kind of refresh your memory and refresh mine at some of the, you know, some of what's already happened on Daily Delivery. And I'll set up each of these clips quickly with uh, with a little comment of my own and the date on which they originally appeared. All right, this first clip is with Vikings head coach Brad Childress, who actually was a guest on a podcast just last week. Uh, He was one of the very first guests I had on the show. This is from February 5th, 2021, talking about Brett Favre, the 2009, the 2010 seasons. Just love the honesty and openness from Brad Childress. You and I have talked about this before for for different projects, but you know, as you th- if if you think back on your time as a, as a head coach with the Vikings, is there any one single thing that you say, man, if this had gone differently? 2010 might not have played out the way that it played out. Yeah. I, you'd have to probably zero in on the Randy Moss uh, thing and how I dealt with him um, and, and not keeping the owners completely in the loop with what was, ha- what was transpiring and, and uh, um, probably emotion got the better of me uh, at that point in time. I didn't think he was good for our football team. Um, and, and as a football coach, you just want to make sure that that's a thriving environment um, but I, I would say probably his dismissal, him going down the road. I wish I would have handled that better. The good of, of that era was 20, uh, 2009, obviously such, such a great season and 
Brett Favre, obviously being a, a, an integral part of that. You, you've talked to me before about, you know, how important quarterback is and, you know, kind of chasing that quarterback who maybe uh, is going to be kind of a, a multi-layered approach here, but maybe first, you know, maybe take me through a little bit of, you know, Favre's arrival again, but then also I'm going to use that to, to ask you about a couple other quarterbacks as well. Yeah, we had kind of had a, a, a dialogue going, if you will, through the summer. Um, he had some physical issues. He had a torn biceps that he had, or biceps, I believe it was, um, that that he needed to uh, have taken care of before he could really physically throw a football again. And um, I, I believe he went over to Pensacola to uh, Dr. Andrew's office and had that done, um, had it taken care of, had it rectified. Matter of fact, his agent, Buzz Cook, sent me a video of him. He was kind of wacky. He was on some kind of pain meds and he didn't want to go under. And Dr. Andrews was going to do it under kind of a local operation, talking to him about getting that thing fixed. And then obviously recruiting him to come to Minneapolis. And um, there was a reason that Ted Thompson traded him to the Jets because he didn't want him back in our division. And who would have known that the Jets were going to, uh, draft Mark Sanchez and all of a sudden Brett Favre was going to be on the street again. So it was a, uh, it, it probably, you probably visualize it back during that draft. Sanchez was taken and then uh, uh, Favre was put on the street, I think within a day or two, then the dance kind of began. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24 seven gaming, fun restaurants and bars and luxurious hotel rooms and join club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Now, this interview, much different than that one. Craig Finn, lead singer, frontman, guitarist, Hold Steady. One of my favorite bands was in Lifter Puller. Before that, one of my favorite, favorite bands. It was an indulgence of mine, but he is also a big Minnesota sports fan, so I had him on an early podcast as well. This was from February 15th. 2021 talking about the creative process that he goes through you have always been a storyteller in the songs uh that you write how where does where does that come from specifically or how do you how do you come up with the the material you know some of it probably drawn from experience and some of it completely made up i would hope yeah yeah a lot of it's made up um you know i mean i i actually um Jeff Tweedy from Wilco wrote a book a while back, a couple of years ago, and it was he. What he said about creativity is something I, I found myself very much agreeing with. That you kind of have to take things in, and you kind of almost, you know, as you get older, you get busy with whatever. You kind of have to make an appointment to take things in, and that can be literature. You know, reading um, doesn't have to be fine literature, great literature. It can be whatever, uh, film, um, TV in this day and age, which is you know sort of we're in peak TV. But also just walking, walking around. I mean, you know, I live in New York. You can you can see a lot by just going outside and um, you know seeing what happens in an hour on the sidewalks. So I think taking all that stuff in and creating your own creating your own stories. But to be honest, reading is probably the biggest one. I've always been a great like I love reading fiction, and that those stories help me think of my own stories. That's a good point. I feel like I when I find myself immersed in a good book, or I'm kind of in a phase where I'm reading a lot or listening to audiobooks as it were right now because that's how I consume a lot of what I do right now that that's when I'm in a better creative space like you need to take in good you got to get get that kind of kind of creating that headspace to allow yourself to to create in that way yeah you know um it's been suggested that reading fiction is kind of a meditation because you kind of 
go into another world and take on, you know, the other characters' problems, maybe leave yours behind. And I think to me, that's how it works. You know, I can really go somewhere with a book that I can't even with a film or TV or whatever, with a, with a really good book, I can go all the way there. If you haven't noticed yet, we are taking these in chronological order. This one from March 3rd, 2021, had twins general manager Thad Levine on the show. And I basically asked him flat out, do you have enough pitching? I was worried about it. I'm not playing this to gloat, but I think it's interesting to hear kind of the mindset of a team, especially in retrospect, knowing that the year did not go how the Twins wanted it to go. I've expressed this opinion both on this podcast and in, in writing and so have my, some of my colleagues. Um, again, I'm already, you know, it's early March. I'm already thinking about October. That's the nature of the beast. Convince me that you have enough pitching, both starting and in, in the bullpen, that, that that's going to get it done in October. We have enough pitching. Okay. How that's that? just... Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I think I think you're you're hitting on a point which is a valid question probably each and every year, but never more so than this season. And, and this is the reason why. I think one of the things that we are sitting really struggling with is trying to understand coming off of a shortened season last year, where our standard bearers from an innings pitch standpoint, uh, Maeda and Burrios, both accumulate somewhere in the mid 60s in innings pitch. In a traditional year we would view it as particularly concerning to ask a pitcher who only accumulated 65 innings to jump up to 180 innings. Now, objectively, we do have to factor in that we had a full spring training last year. We had a secondary summer camp and also that Wes Johnson kind of really expertly had these guys pitching on an every fifth day rotation when they were away from camp. So I don't think we view that they only threw 65 innings, but nonetheless, they certainly didn't get close to their normal uh, seasons outputs of 160 to 190 innings pitched. So I think like almost every front office, we walked into this offseason thinking, if in doubt, add more pitching because you just never know where you're going to need it. Hence the additions of guys like Matt Shoemaker and Jay Happ. I think we're really bullish on our starting rotation as it currently sits for opening day. What we're also equally excited about is the guys that we may have starting at double A AA and triple A. We think we've got the next lines of defense lined up well. Now, one thing that we're having active dialogue about, and it will ultimately be up to Rocco and Wes Johnson to determine this, is is this a type of season that you're a little bit more open-minded to going with a six-man rotation? Or do we have more of a conventional piggyback where we really kind of start guys off a little bit slower and don't expect them to throw six innings in their first outing? I think one thing Wes has done such a nice job of is when the when the schedule allows to push pitchers back and give them an extra day of rest, we take advantage of it for the whole staff. Uh, we may see skipping guys from time to time, but our goal, as you referenced, is to stay strong through the finish of the season because we have aspirations to, to play well into October. If we're going to do that, we're going to need to get creative as to how we deploy our pitching throughout the course of the year. We think we have the personnel to do it, uh, but I think time will tell if we're accurate on that front. Moving ahead, just a few days, March 8th, 2021, Justin Jefferson, Vikings wide receiver, was on the show. Just really enjoyed the whole conversation I had with him, but in particular this three- or four-minute segment that we did, um, just kind of talking about his goals for last year and just kind of his confidence really shown through, I thought, during this part. It's not often that a draft pick comes in and immediately I know you weren't thinking about it necessarily as replacing Stefan Diggs but there's a symmetry with the draft pick with him leaving you coming in 
Did you feel an additional pressure because of that aspect of, of your arrival in Minnesota and his departure? At all. Uh, I'm a, I'm a competitor. Um, you know, I don't, I don't run from, I don't run from competition. I don't run from, you know, the say so's, um, you know, I just really just focused on myself. I didn't really try to focus on being the next Stefan Diggs. Um, I just really just wanted to be the better, better version of me, the best version of me. So, uh, going in, um, I just was confident in the game. Um, just trying to get connected with Kirk and, uh, each week our connection got better and better. And, um, I mean, the, the stats says, says otherwise. <laughs> I think it's great. Um, nice. Like kind of shows your generosity that you are letting Justin Herbert, uh, keep your rookie of the year award at his house. But don't you think you should go pick it up and bring it to your place at some point? Um, I mean, he had a phenomenal season. Uh, of course, I would I would love to to have that award to win that award. Uh, you know, that's that's every rookie's main goal at the end of the season. Uh, but I mean, it is what it is. Um, I, I got I got all pro and I got uh, you know a, a Pro Bowl selection that he didn't get. So uh, I, I'm I'm pretty fine uh, with not getting it. It's all good. There's there's plenty of other awards that. I'm going to be out there, uh, you know, competing for receiver, you know, is dependent on a quarterback always to get you the ball. How do you walk the line between you know, like letting a quarterback know you're open and then coming off as someone who's whining to get the ball all the time? How do you, how do you find that nice you know, balance between, Hey, I'm open, but you know, don't say it too much. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's hard, especially in today's world. Uh, what if you, you know, ask for the ball, uh, your drama queen, your <laughs> all of these things. But <clears throat> if you're sit there being quiet, not not saying anything, you're not going to get the ball uh, anyway. So, um, I mean, all of that is is outside noise. Uh, you know, we we know um, without what our con- communication is, um, you know, inside the locker room. Uh, but <clears throat> nobody, nobody is going to understand us uh, like like we're going to understand. Uh, each other so um you know all of the outside noise is is irrelevant now you can you can disagree or agree with this i'd say you guys had a good offense last year 2020 um what what needs to happen for you guys as a group and even you and you individually to take another step in 2021 to become great or to have me describe you as great or elite whatever word you want to call it in 2021 um, yeah, I do feel like we are a great offense. We're, we're, we have the potential to be one of the best offenses in the league. Um, I mean, and just all for the stuff that we did last year, I mean, we were top, what, three, uh, top four, something like that uh, in offense. So, um, you know, we have the guys, we have the guys to, to do it. We have guys on the team that can make some plays and um, you know, have the ability to to make somebody miss in space. So, um, I mean, we just need to find those missing pieces. We need to find uh, that extra level uh, to really put this team you know, in that conversation of the Super Bowl. So, uh, a lot of guys are are definitely um, you know counting us out and you know not having us in that conversation. So, uh, that should be our motiv- motivation going into next season. Let's jump ahead a little bit. June 9th, Rod Carew, Twins legend, baseball Hall of Famer. Really enjoyed talking to him about hitting and the modern game. 
had some things to say about that, certainly. So here was Rod Carew. What what a what a strange time in uh, in baseball. If I might ask you a little bit about just the game itself right now. Um, you know, you're seeing batting averages at kind of a a 50 year low. Um, a, the you know approaches to hitting a lot different than when you played the game. What are, what are your big picture thoughts on on baseball right now and how baseball is being played? Well, you know, I think it's it's different. They taught us to play the game the way uh, we did by moving runners over into scoring positions and having guys steal a base and let the the other guy uh, drive them in. Now they're not giving up any any outs to get runners into uh, into scoring position. Like if there's a runner on second base with nobody out. We were forced to either bunt him over or hit a ground ball to the uh, the, uh, the opposite side of the feed field to get that run over into third third base because there's so many different ways you can you can score from third base even with uh, two outs. Um, I don't really care for the shift. Right. I think the, the shift is overrated, and and I'm disappointing in the players who don't take advantage by trying to make adjustments uh, to go the other way. They wouldn't, um, they wouldn't be able to shift very well against you, but how do you think you would have fared in, you know, in the modern game, especially if they did try to shift you, would you have been able to beat the shift? Do you think? Well, you know, since I use the foul, the, the foul lines, you know, mm-hmm. from left field to right field, um, I used to hit the ball all, all over. So uh, the shift wouldn't have worked with me. And I don't think they would have put the shift on anyway, because <laughs> They thought that I, I knew where I wanted to guide the ball, but now nah, it wasn't that easy. When you watch baseball today, who who are some of the players that you like to watch? Well, Mike Trout is one. Um, Albert Pujols is another. Miguel Cabrera uh, with the Detroit Tigers, mm-hmm. um, he's another one. Um, the Yankees have a couple of guys that that um, that I like. A couple of young. Uh, Latin guys that, that that play the game the way they were taught how to play the game. But it's such a difference um, because today they're trying to get kids that can't hit home runs to uppercut the ball and, and make make a lot of outs in, 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 the, in the sky. Right. You know, they forgot that there are more base hits on the ground than hitting the ball in, in the air. And... Um, you know, I, I could have hit home runs if I wanted to, but that wasn't my job. My job was to, you know, get on base, steal a base, let Killer Brewer or Oliva drive me in. And it was all about the team. It wasn't just about the player, you know. And um, today it's it's all different. You know, it's all about the players, you know. And um, I'm I'm not favorable about the way they're playing today. In uh, mid-July, we did a series of special edition shows. Actually took a week off, if you can believe it. Um, Didn't do that very much in the last year, but uh, pre-recorded a bunch of podcasts during the Baseball All-Star Week and got to talk to Kent Herbeck, Twins legend, um, two World Series, of course. It was the, the whole impetus for the series was looking back 30 years uh, 30 years previous to a whole bunch of big events that were in the Twin Cities. Obviously, the 91 World Series, a big part of that. And I confess to him that I was a big Atlanta Braves fan back then. We got a good 
discussion going about the Ron Gant play at first base during that 1991 World Series. You brought up Ron Gant, and I was gonna, I was gonna go there because as as I told you before we started recording, I was a big, I was a big Braves fan, one of the bigger Braves fans around back in '91. I was almost 15 kind of at the height of my you know baseball fandom at that point i was living in north dakota that's where i grew up but you know tons of twins fan friends but because of the braves being on every day at that point that was kind of the team i had adopted and you know i was living quite a quite a ways from the twin city still like five hours away so that was my team and so that play is is i I see it a lot differently obviously than a lot of minnesota (laughs) sports fans do what just in your just in your in your assessment of of that play it, it happens so fast it's just the moment you get the out what what do you what if, what if anything do you remember about it and what have people told you about it over the years i think there was a bobblehead of it over the years it, it's been kind right. of it's, it's became this moment obviously yeah in, in it's, history. it's it's definitely the most asked question i get about the 91 series of course uh being involved in the play and uh you know i i, I even to this day don't uh don't try to connect through Atlanta when I go flying someplace because I don't want to be seen in Atlanta because <laughs> uh, I know I'm love there. But uh, you know the play the play happened happened so quick. Uh, I caught the ball and went to put a tag on Gant. And everybody says I lifted his foot off the bag, but as you can see, if you watch the thing, and I've explained this to a million people, that my arm is on top of his leg. I wasn't lifting up. He was falling and teeter tottering over my other leg. And, uh, you know, had gone back in. He slides back in. He's probably safe. Right. Uh, but he teeter-tottered over my leg. And, and uh, I knew he was, the way his momentum was going and it, the way he had leaned on my leg and was falling over, I'd just keep the tag on. I could feel him falling off my, my um, off the base. And I just kept the tag on him. And, uh, you know, I talked to Drew Coble uh, since then. And uh, that's exactly how he saw it. And uh, if you watch the play, with an open mind, you see what happened. Uh, you, you watch it with a closed mind. You want to say, I, I picked him up and threw him off the base, which did not happen. I know you don't understand that. No, no, no. I, 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 mean, I that, get it. I think Over that's the-, the way the play went. And I think if you look at it and try to dissect it, the whole thing happened, you know, so quickly. And yeah. then for the next five minutes, Tim McCarver talked nothing but Herbeck pulled him off the bag. Herbeck pulled him off the bag. So that was in everybody's mind right away as it was in yours. Absolutely. Right? And but over the years, you, you <laughs> see, you know, there's, there's countless moments like that in, in sports history. Some have gone Minnesota's way. Some haven't. You can look at the Drew Pearson play from 75. And if you're a Cowboys fan, you're like, well, Nate Wright fell down. If you're a Vikings fan, you say, <laughs> you know, Drew Pearson pushed him. You know what I mean? So it's, a, right. it's, it just makes for one of those kind of classic moments and, and classic debates that will never probably go away. Have you ever talked to Ron Gant about that play? I have not. I, uh, I know that he still to this day says I pulled him off the bag. Uh, and I, to this day still say he fell off the bag. So that's where we're at with that. Um, I have done a couple radio radio shows in Atlanta, okay. uh, with radio and, uh, they don't even, <laughs> they don't even hold, uh, hold any, any punches down there. As soon as the radio show, he starts it. That's right. What they start in with. So, um, <laughs> and it was, you know, it was a, it was a big play in the game. Absolutely. Again, uh, um, it, uh, 
it wasn't uh it, it didn't allow any runs we could have you know jack could have struck the next guy out or not jack but uh who the heck called tapping he was pitching uh got the next guy out and maybe it's water under the bridge nobody thinks about it because that was you know the third out of the inning and they had not scored any runs yet in that inning and and uh so uh who knows, but they think they could have, you know, built a big inning and scored some runs. But, uh, yeah, there, there's been plays like that. And then I've even heard the thing now with if they had replay back then, would the replay uh, went and showed that I uh, supposedly pulled him off the base. I think if you look at it and dissect it, you'll see what happens. Let's move ahead to August 31st. Cheryl Reeve, head coach, general manager of the Minnesota Lynx. One of my favorite people to talk to in this whole market. Always gives fantastic answers, great insights. Had some interesting things to say about Sylvia Fowles, the star player for the Lynx who appears like she would be coming back for another season next year and some of the disrespect she felt like Sylvia Fowles was getting in the league. One player in particular who had a just an a brilliant game the other day. Sylvia Fowles in the midst of a brilliant season, in the midst of a brilliant career. I think she had the first 2020-3-3 game, I guess yep. is what we would call it in the in league history. Points, rebounds, steals, blocks. I believe she leads the links in all four of those categories as well this year. Um, points, rebounds, steals, and blocks. Not assists. She's slacking a little bit. Um, <laughs> but after after her game the other night, um, you know, a big win for you over Seattle, you mentioned, you know, that she maybe doesn't get the recognition she deserves. It's, I think part of your postgame commentary, in fact, was when was the last time she did when was the last time she got player of the week and she still didn't get player of the week for that. Um, is this just reinforcement of what you are talking about? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, they didn't help themselves in that regard. I, I think it's inexcusable and, and irresponsible. It's a uh, as you said, the, you know, in, in 25 years of, of playing in the WNBA, no players ever had that stat line. So it's historic. Um, you know, I think that uh, the players that they awarded player of the week to certainly had uh, good games and good stat lines. Um, but, but from my perspective, you know, historic performances are the ones that, you know, that that's what the player of the week award is about. So, um, you know, people that make those decisions, it's just, it's mind boggling sometimes that, the way that they come up with these things. And, uh, but, but we certainly are, you know, tired of the disrespect and, you know, especially as it pertains to Syl, you know, this is, this is one of the greatest players of all time and you would never know it in terms of how the league treats her. And this is a great example of that. What well, is this a league trying to promote younger players? I mean, I, Sylvia has been around obviously for a long time. Players who keep doing excellent things tend to be forgotten a little bit but it, it maybe you can maybe you can get away from the I don't want to make you gripe about it anymore but just w- what makes her so special and how how has she continued to do what she does you know at this stage of her career well and it, it is good to focus on that because uh, I could really unload on the reasons why I think <laughs> you, I mean you, know, you certainly can skin, if you want to Cheryl that's good podcast <laughs> dark skin gay athlete maybe doesn't get um, you know, the, the push that maybe the lighter skin, uh, um, you know, or, or, you know, even white, uh, athletes that, you know, we tend to, uh, push in, in these situations. Uh, Sill's also not somebody that, uh, gets too engrossed in social media and, and promoting herself, you know, that's so, you know, for, from, you know, th- that standpoint, I, you know, I don't know what's not to like, um, you know, about consistently, 
uh, being great and, and booing a franchise and, you know, having a franchise in contention, you know, um, again, after, you know, um, so, so kind of, you know, went through the, um, the dynasty years. And then, you know, now, you know, it's a team, it's a completely different team that she's put, puts on her back uh, every night uh, and, and, you know, drags us back into contention. Um, there's a lot to like there. I'm really, really proud of her. I know Syl doesn't, um, you know, not somebody that needs uh, shine, but it's not about that, you know, whether somebody needs it or not, it's about who's deserving of it. And, um, you know, I just think that, that, you know, her play, why can she be so good? She takes care of her body. Um, she, she really is committed uh, to preparing herself for every season uh, that, that she comes in and wants to be great, has become a tremendous leader. Um, and ultimately, I think what, you know, what we're seeing now, what shines through for me is her love for the game. Because, uh, you know, it's hard, you know, the way that she plays, you know, she, she'll be 36 next month. And, you know, it's a hard physical game that sometimes it's hard to get up for, you know, coming to practice and, you know, the way that she plays, every possession is physical and she does hard things physically every night. Um, and so puts on the line. And so to me, that just tells me uh, how much she loves the game. And, and so uh, I'm really proud of her and I'm proud that she's a Minnesota Lynx. September 30th, had the pleasure of talking with Carrie Tollefson, local runner. Got me thinking a lot about marathons. I don't know if you guys know this, but I've run five marathons in my life. Still run for fun. Do not do 26 miles anymore. Might have another one in me at some point, maybe um, when uh, when I'm not quite as busy, when I don't have um, three little kids running around the house so much. But Really enjoyed talking to Carrie just about the running process, why she likes running marathons, and what she hoped to get out of the Twin Cities Marathon, which, which was just a few days after we talked. It's a little bit more doable to train for those half marathons. You know, oh. you're not out there nearly as long. You can get it done before work type thing. Um, but I like doing a marathon once every two to four years. <laughs> that seems to be my rate. And um and, you know, I, I think for me, I, when I tackle the marathon, it's, it's a men mentality shift, you know, having to devote myself to doing a long run one day, every seven to 10 days for 12, 16 weeks. I like that. I like feeling accomplished when I walk in the door and say, I was out there for 20 miles today. That's something hard. And I did it. So I think I'll always have 26.2 kind of lingering, but I take my time in between them. Yeah, I feel you know, I, I don't feel like anybody who's ever done a marathon has ever definitively said they've done their last one. So you never you never know, right? Um Carrie Tollison, enjoying this conversation. Last thing for you. Any just for even, you know, the fastest runners, the the beginning runners who are doing their first marathon, what what's your what's your race day advice or kind of thing that you try to keep in mind as you're running these races? You know, I think just keep in mind that we're all there in it together. You know, it's a, uh, it really is a special moment and, you know, you might meet somebody, like I said, and have a lifelong friendship, or you're just going to remember that conversation that you might've had with somebody along the way. But I will, I will always cherish my marathons. I don't do that many, like I said, but enjoy it, enjoy the process, enjoy the ups and downs. You know, for me, my whole career, I learned so much about perseverance and, you know, as a runner, it's always hard. Even our easy days are still challenging. And, you know, when you look at that and you come back in the door and you realize, and you look at yourself in the mirror, you realize that you've still done something hard for the day, whether it was a 20 minute run 
or a 20 mile run, it's still an accomplishment. And, you know, I, I just, I really believe in the run. I believe in what it does for you as a person. I believe it makes you confident and powerful and um, compassionate. And, you know, you just, you're surrounding yourself with these positive, like-minded goal-driven people. And so I can't say enough about it. You know, you don't have to be fast. You can walk more than you run. I don't care. Um, I'm just happy to be a part of this community. Just a few more here. Adrian Heath, head coach of Minnesota United, was on November 17th. Probably delivered one of my favorite lines of the whole podcast when he said, hindsight United is undefeated. I will let him explain the context of that. When you when you do start like that 0-4 and the resilience is certainly important, but it almost feels like every game gets magnified when when you when you have that start. Uh, was yeah. there a certain amount of is there is there a toll that that gets taken when you have to play with a certain amount of urgency for the last thirty games of a thirty four game season or, or whatever it might be? Well, I I, I certainly. I'm, I realised very early that we we hadn't really given a, given ourselves a lot of room for error. You know, we were going to have to have a really good sort of last thirty odd games to to make sure that we were, you know, going to give ourselves a chance. Um, I, I honestly think, though, Michael, if we'd had our better players fit for longer and been able to put them on the field, I don't think we'd have gone through the, the trauma that we did a couple of weeks ago with that last game against the Galaxy. You know, and and I know I'm 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 not the only coach who says it, but ultimately we we can help the situation. But you're only as good as your players that you're putting out regularly on the field. And when we've had our better players on the field, we we look as though we can win games of football. But you know the the way we, we the world we live in now with social media. You know, I mean you've spoke about this before. I I don't do any social media because. I know what it's like, you know, and it's, I don't want to be listening and reading what people think about me who don't even know me and have never met me and are suddenly an expert on my my particular uh, industry because it's one of the few industries that everybody seems to know my job better than me. And yet I have enough respect for everybody else's position not to, to think I know more than them, but that's the world we live in. I think you should join Twitter, Adrian, and then before every game, put out a Twitter poll asking what formation you should use and what your starting 11 should be. Yeah, well, everybody, you know, hindsight United's never lost. And everybody I speak to says, you know, in hindsight, I go, yeah, but I haven't got hindsight. I have to pick the team two or three days before and work on the team shape. And, you know, people have always got a really good opinion of what we should have done after the event. Unfortunately for me, I don't get that up. I don't give that opportunity. Did you say hindsight United? I've never heard yeah. that before. I love that. That's yeah. great. Hindsight United. Never been beat. November 24th, Boy Mafe from the Gophers football team enjoyed a really good season for them. And I thought he'd give an interesting answer about controlling what you can control. And I've kind of come back to this as I've thought about you know different things in sports and even different things in my life since talking to him just a few months ago. I heard you in the group setting, and I think Tanner Morgan said the same thing. You guys are very focused on Saturday. Not really worried about what happens in the Iowa-Nebraska game on Friday, even though you'll, I'm sure if, at some point you'll know what happens. You'll know what's at stake in Saturday's game. How does P.J. Fleck keep you guys so focused on just the, the kind of the one-game championship mentality? 
I mean, the biggest thing I've realized is that, you know, throughout the years of being here, when you do focus on the external, you look outside of what you need to focus on. It brings a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on yourself that you can't control. So the biggest thing we talk about is the controllables and the uncontrollables and the things that you can't control. You don't really focus on those because the, regardless of you focus and worrying and thinking about those all the time, you can't change anything about it. But the fact is the things you can control, the things you can worry about, like our game on Saturday, those are things that you can control and take per, uh, precautions and go through your process of preparing for those type of games. Those are things that you focus on. But the things you can't control, like what happens on Friday, those things you can't really take, waste your time or necessarily focus and put all your energy into those type of things. But those are the sorts of things we love to write and talk about in the media, man. <laughs> You're killing us. <laughs> I hear you. I definitely hear you. And I, it's it's something that I think that helps us out as a team to make sure we're on the right track. Because I feel as if, you know, you have your players distracted and focusing on other things. That that's, defeats the purpose and that steals away from your end goal as a team and the things that you want to focus on. And finally, December 2nd, Ryan Hartman of the Wild, leading scorer for them at the time, leading goal scorer, at least having a fantastic season for the Minnesota Wild right now. Just some really interesting stuff about his journey to the NHL, getting his start, what it meant to him, and uh, just really enjoyed that conversation I had with Ryan Hartman. Things intensified, obviously, at a certain point. You, you know, you excel in junior hockey you get drafted by chicago which is your you know essentially you, you know where you where you grew up i think i believe you grew up a, a blackhawks fan to a certain extent what what's it like i mean it's got to be a dream to a certain extent to get drafted and play for the team you rooted for growing up but i imagine there's also a certain amount of pressure that comes with that as well yeah i was a huge blackhawks fan um you know i got to watch a lot of good players going through and grew up going to a lot of games. Um, you know, got to watch Kane and Taze early in their career when they first got in the league and they were dominating. Obviously, they, they still are. But, um, yeah, I remember I went uh, – I had my final my, – my last final in my freshman year of high school, 2010. Um, and I uh, – it was my Spanish final. And uh, I didn't even look at a question. I just filled it out the, the, and just so I can get downtown to the parade. Uh, me and my, my buddy picked me up from school, and we drove down to Chicago. And, um, yeah, it was, was, was part of the sea of Blackhawk jerseys downtown on Wacker Drive. And, um, you know, and then fast forward three years, I got drafted by them. And then fast forward another two years, I was on one of the buses for the parade. So it was it – was, uh, just kind of a crazy five five year uh, period. If you if you if I were to you know see myself five you know five years before that, uh, sitting down and and cheering for these guys and then you know being with them five years later. I won't ask you the next question in Spanish. Um, so it sounds like you didn't necessarily. I would know a word. I would know a word. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. Anyway, a uh, couple more things for you, Ryan Hartman. Enjoying this conversation. Um, you know, I feel like players get to the NHL and everybody, you know, pretty much anybody who's gotten this far scored a certain amount of goals. They were probably the, one of the best players on their team growing up, whether, you know, whatever level it was, then you get to the NHL and you kind of get this label or role put on you. It's not like you magically forget how to score goals. Even if suddenly you get deemed a checking player or more of a defensive style player, maybe as how do you relate to that kind of 
idea and maybe should we not be so surprised that someone who, you know, scored at a pretty good clip in junior hockey and has had a fair share of NHL goals, you know, has 12 goals and leads this team right now. Yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, you know, everyone at the NHL level was, you know, really good growing up and that's the reason they're in the NHL and sometimes they fall into roles that aren't necessarily goal scoring roles and um, they don't really have the opportunity sometimes to score, but it's obviously there in every guy that's in the NHL. Um, obviously, maybe with defensemen, it might be a little different, like a stay-at-home defenseman who prides in blocking shots and has probably been doing that his whole career, might not necessarily ever been a scorer. But um, I was thinking about it the other day, too. It was like, you know, the longest I've ever been in a in a certain league was probably, you know, two years. I played two years in the USHL with the U.S. program, two years in the OHL, two years in the AHL. You know, in those two years, you finally start getting comfortable. And then after those two years, you, you start moving up to the next level. And then you got to kind of reset and re not necessarily learn the game, but the speed changes. And, you know, now this is my you know fifth or sixth year now. It's the longest I've ever been in the league. Um, and uh, that comfortability of the game slowing down and you know you're you've been I've been here for a while now and I'm coming up on 400 games and um the game just feels comfortable and um not that I haven't been adjusted for a while now but um it is the longest you know you've been in the same league your whole life so um definitely feel just really comfortable on the ice and um aware of you know a lot of situations that I might not have been early in my career Listen, I could have picked 50, 100 more, honestly. I could have picked any number of segments with our beat writers that I've had on, although a lot of those were more in the moment and less you know, less about preserving any kind of history. So, uh, But some memorable moments, some memorable guests we've had on in this last year. More to come, of course, as the year goes on. We're in the middle of a Vikings coaching search, which will be the subject of today's main daily delivery um, with Ben Gessling, but again, really love doing this podcast, love having you guys listen to this um, every day, sometimes twice a day, you never know, but uh, thank you so much, and here's to another year of daily delivery.